Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Greenberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. So Kimberly, we got another weird year in the books. The Supreme Court was no exception. And since time is sort of an amorphous concept these days in the COVID era, I'm thinking let's take a look back at some of the most notable moments that, believe it or not, all happened this year. What do you say? Sure, let's do it. So one of the top moments is the Supreme Court returning to business as usual, or sort of, for the start of the 2021 term in October. The justices headed back into the courtroom after hearing cases remotely for more than a year and a half. Kicking off the in-person arguments was the new marshal, Gail Curley. The Honorable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oye, oye, oye. The justices heard a dispute between Mississippi and Tennessee to start off the 2021 term. The audience, though, was limited to just the justices, staff, and a few members of the press corps, including yours truly. Ultimately, in what was the first opinion in an argued case, the justices sided with Tennessee in what I can only imagine was a dispute over the use of double vowels and consonants. We'll never know. Kimberly... The justices coming back to the courtroom means another notable thing for this year was that it was Barrett's first time taking the bench with her colleagues, right? Yep. And so recall that she was confirmed in late October of 2020 after the court had already went remote for COVID. So she's still only been seen on the bench by a handful of people, as you mentioned, including yourself. We don't have any cameras in the courtroom, so we'll just have to take your word for it. As some corroborating evidence... Here's a clip of Barrett after she took the bench. I think what you're asking or what she's asking you and pointing out is that it wouldn't work this way if we were talking about water that was above ground. So what is your argument? And this is kind of what Justice Kagan asked you at the beginning. What is your argument for treating the groundwater differently? I mean, how much? So, Kimberly, anything else? Interesting happened to the justices this year? Well, not everybody got to head back into the courtroom for the first Monday. Uh, In preparation for Barrett's investiture, that is when she was formally welcomed to the court, the justices were tested and Justice Brett Kavanaugh discovered that he'd contracted the dreaded coronavirus. Here's Chief Justice Roberts announcing that Kavanaugh would participate remotely. I'd like to begin by noting that Justice Kavanaugh will be participating in the argument today uh, remotely. Now, the justices were among the first batch of people to get fully vaccinated way back in January of 2021. So Kavanaugh's case was, according to the court, asymptomatic, and he returned to the bench the next week. Of course, Kavanaugh isn't the only justice that we know of to have contracted COVID. Back when she was being considered for her current seat, we learned that Justice Amy Coney Barrett got the virus back in the summer of 2020, and that made her safe from what was dubbed a super spreader event at the White House to celebrate her nomination. Good times had by all. So, Kimberly, another justice to talk about this year was Justice Thomas. Another interesting thing was he really got involved in the oral arguments this year. Of course, he's been famously quiet over the years at arguments. I remember he asked a question during the Curtis Flowers argument a couple years ago, and that was really surprising, even jarring, I think, to people in the courtroom to hear that live, but that would almost never happen. But in this COVID era, it's become more of a normal thing, and it seems like now there's 
an unwritten rule that he'll start off the questioning of the lawyers on each side. You seem to uh, define uh, the uh, occasion as a distinct criminal opportunity. Uh, how would you, uh, an- how, do, how are we to analyze that? Well, uh, counsel, you um, seem to complain about uh, Tennessee pumping water from Mississippi, but you admit that Tennessee does not enter across the border into Mississippi. Isn't that correct? Uh, <clears throat> a couple of quick questions, uh, Mr. Fisher. Um, so Thomas wasn't the only person to get a new role at the court. Uh, former Cooley partner Elizabeth Prelogger became the U.S. Solicitor General, making her just the second woman to hold the job that is often referred to as the 10th Justice. Thank you, Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Judiciary Committee. And Mr. Chairman, thank you in particular for that kind introduction earlier. Sitting before you today, I am overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude. I want to thank President Biden for the incredible honor of this nomination and Attorney General Garland for his strong support. Now, that was from Prelogger's confirmation, which came after a long wait to see who would fill one of the top spots at the Justice Department. Eventually, Prelogger went on to follow in the footsteps of her former boss, Justice Elena Kagan, and her confirmation came just in time for her to argue on behalf of the United States in its efforts to sue the state of Texas over its six-week abortion ban. Now, eventually, the justices dismissed the federal government's case, finding instead that the abortion providers could sue directly. And I suspect that we'll have more on that later. I think you're right, Kimberly. So, Kimberly, I would say that... One of the biggest moments of the year, maybe the biggest moment, was something that didn't happen. What do you think about that? You just blew my mind, Jordan. And that thing was Breyer not retiring yet. So after Barrett replaced Ginsburg, making it a 6-3 court, it seemed like there might be some more urgency on his part not to make it a 7-2 court. But we've learned that Justice Breyer is not in a rush at all. And here he is sort of explaining himself. I do not believe I should stay on the Supreme Court or want to stay on the Supreme Court until I die. (laughs) And uh, when exactly I should retire or will retire uh, has many complex parts to it. I think I'm aware of most of them. And uh, I am and will consider them. So, Kimberly, that was something that didn't happen. You want to maybe talk about some stuff that was actually happening at the court? Sure. Let's talk about the shadow docket. Dun, dun, dun. So the shadow docket, also known as the court's emergency docket by people who don't like to use good terms, uh, got a lot of attention this year, particularly after the justices allowed Texas's strict abortion ban to go into effect in September. Justice Samuel Alito took to defending the court's practice at his speech this fall. My point is that the media and political talk about the shadow docket is not serious criticism. It is related to a deep problem that some of my colleagues have addressed uh, recently. The catchy and sinister term shadow docket has been used to portray the court as having been captured by a dangerous cabal that resorts to sneaky and improper methods to get its ways. And this portrayal feeds unprecedented efforts to intimidate the court or damage it as an independent institution. 
The justices, though, did seem to take some of that criticism to heart. In two cases, they took the unusual step of taking the disputes off of the shadow docket and setting them for argument in the normal course. One, of course, was the disputes over that Texas abortion law, SB 8. The other was a dispute over religious advisors in the execution room, and that one has yet to be decided. That's right, Kimberly. And going back to this topic of Justice Breyer again, of course, we were going to always hear from him again on a recap episode like this. 2021 was also the year of the court's apolitical publicity tour, as one might call it. In speeches around the country, the justices tried to convince the public that they weren't, as Barrett put it, quote, a bunch of partisan hacks. And let's go to a clip of that speech. Oh, wait, we can't because that speech of hers criticizing press coverage of the court was not recorded, maybe next year. But we do have Thomas speaking to the issue in a Notre Dame speech. I think the media makes it sound as though you are just always going right to your personal preference. So, preference. So if you, they think you're anti-abortion or something personally, they think that that's the way you always will come out. They think you're for this or for that. They think you you become like a politician. And I think that's that's a problem to the when I think you're going to you're going to jeopardize any faith in the legal institutions. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the moments of 2021 that Justice Barrett might want to take back. It did not seem to go over well um, her saying that we're not partisan hacks while she was standing next to Mitch McConnell, who, of course, was instrumental in getting her lightning fast confirmation through. Supposedly no recording. <laughs> I think there was a picture of that, though. Yes, there was a picture. So 2021 is shaping up to be the blockbuster of all blockbuster terms, and they're not even done yet. Uh, With so much focus on abortion, listeners may have forgotten that the court is also considering a major Second Amendment case that could finally expand gun rights outside of the home. During oral arguments in November, the justices appeared primed to strike down New York's restrictions on concealed carry permits. Here's Chief Justice John Roberts talking to once upon a time acting Solicitor General Brian Fletcher. And I wonder what your best answer is to the point that uh, Mr. Clement makes in his brief, which is that, for example, if you're asserting a claim to confront the witnesses against you under the Constitution, you don't have to say, I've got a special reason. This is why I think it's important to my uh, my defense. The Constitution gives you that right, and if someone's going to take it away from you, they have to justify it. You don't have to say when you're looking for a permit uh, to speak on a street corner or whatever that, you know, your speech is particularly important. So why do you have to show, in this case, convince somebody that you're entitled to exercise your Second Amendment right? Now, we'll see how far the justices will go in that case, in particular, whether they will set up a test that could make it easier to challenge gun restrictions across the nation. Uh, Something to look forward to in 2022. That's right. And for more on that issue, if you haven't yet, make sure you check out our deep dive episode ahead of that big Second Amendment case. So, Kimberly, the other big case that we have this term, of course, is abortion, guns and abortion. Those are the big issues this term. For now. Could be adding affirmative action, other things, who knows. So we're still awaiting decision in the Dobbs case, but already what happened this year 
a significant moment was the court effectively overruling Roe versus Wade in the Texas case when it let the Texas six-week abortion ban go into effect. And here's Solicitor General Prelogger in U.S. against Texas arguing in favor of being able to challenge that law, which outsources enforcement to private parties. The law had been permitted to take effect, and it had immediately had its intended operation of chilling the exercise of constitutionally protected conduct altogether so that abortions that are protected under Roe and Casey after six weeks of pregnancy could not occur at all. And I think that that shows the threat to the supremacy that comes from this attempted design of a law to block access to the judiciary. It may well be, and I hope that this court holds in Whole Woman's Health, that the providers can move forward, but that hasn't stopped the harm to the sovereign interest of the United States in the meantime, as Texas has succeeded while these novel issues worked their way through the courts in blocking access to care that is protected under this court's precedence. And of course, Kimberly, we heard argument earlier this month in Dobbs, that case that could actually overturn Roe for the whole country. Here's Mississippi Solicitor General Scott Stewart. Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. They've damaged the democratic process. They've poisoned the law. They've choked off compromise. For 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. And 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. Yeah, I remember this this moment in the courtroom when he started off very aggressively like that. It was it was quite a moment. Well, that's going to be a wrap on 2021, although the justices still have some pretty weighty issues pending before them, from Biden's vaccine mandates to the January 6th commission, which should be hitting the court uh, just before Christmas. So be sure to follow along for all the latest on that and other Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening. You ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? You ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe at On The Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On The Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now, and we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. On The Merits is hosted by me, David Schultz, and you can hear wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.